Good morning, saints of our Lord, and welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Brady Finnern, District President of the Minnesota North District of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Thank you for tuning us in this morning on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. A blessed Pentecost season this Wednesday, August the 3rd, as the light of Jesus shines on us from Genesis chapter 47. We just got through, well, it's got through some lineages. We got through some descendancy. Uh, what did they say? Don't forget the baguettes was a quote we heard yesterday in our program. It's a reminder for us that the Lord remembers all of our names. But we also heard at the end of chapter 46 a very emotional reality when Jacob and Joseph were reunited. You think about this with family members or a person you haven't seen for a long time. What a joy it is to see them, and it has to be even greater when you heard of Jacob and Joseph coming back together. What they thought was gone is now alive. How could you not think of the prodigal son? How could you not think about the words of that father to his son? I, you know, My son who was dead is now alive, and also our Lord who was dead but has arisen. How can we not connect all the dots as we see and put on our Christ goggles? So open up your Bibles as we do so, for the gifts are ready, ready for you. Thank you to our friends at Lutheran Heritage Foundation for your support of Thy Strong Word. Visit lhfmissions.org for more information, lhfmissions.org. Helping us to be strengthened by God's word this morning, we welcome regular guest, Pastor David Boisclair of Faith and Bethesda Lutheran Church in Pine Lawn, Missouri. Pastor Boisclair, happy Pentecost and welcome back to Thy Strong Word. Hey, blessed Pentecost to you, and, and it's always a joy to be able to study God's written in an errant word. Absolutely. It. Yeah, it's, it's great to have you back. Pastor, anything going on for you or the saints at Faith and Bethesda? Well, we're, we're continuing on. Uh, you know, it's weird. Uh, a lot of, we find a lot of little extra energy that's, uh, uh, you know, there's, there's always, always hope. And, and, uh, that, that's the one thing that we have as Christians is, is, uh, we have hope. <laughs> we have something more than power. We have hope. I, I, that's a quote from a film, the film of, um, the robe where, uh, they, they, uh, they're, Centurion or the the, uh, the Roman Tribune says to a little servant or little uh, Christian girl, he says, uh, "We power is all that counts." She says, "We have something more than power. We have hope. Oh. We have hope." I mean, That's I would, powerful. I always go back to <laughs> it is it is powerful because uh, you know you have faith, hope, and love. You know, grace of these is love, but that doesn't downplay hope by any stretch, as we hear in the scriptures. We also hear of, you know, 1 Thessalonians 4, where it says, uh, do not grieve as those without hope, you know, because um, we have hope. We have hope that Christ is risen from the dead. Therefore, we um, are reading for Sunday, you know, talked about the parable of, of, of the man who wanted to store away his crops, you know, and the emphasis on that is to be rich in faith. And then, and I think it's, it's appropriate for us to say we're rich in hope. Because there is something more, there is something greater, a hope that is still yet to come, the hope that we already have, which is in Christ Jesus that he has risen from the dead. Pastor, any thoughts on that? I think that's very important for us to always begin our day with. So any other thoughts on, on the reality of hope for the Christian? Well, we, we, uh, faith is, of course, very important in, in our, our relationship with the Lord. And, and I mean, it's vital, obviously. It's mm-hmm. our lifeline. Uh, well, of course, the spirit and the means of grace are our lifeline. But hope is faith for the things of the future. In other words, faith is concerns the things of the present, 
uh, in, uh, in that, and, and basically faith is hope. Uh, and hope is mm. how we, uh, how the, the, you know, in other words, it's not kind of like a, a, a wish, like I hope so. Hope is a very powerful word. It, it's, it, it is, it, in other words, when I say I hope as a Christian, it's saying that I believe in the future uh, of my life in Christ. And so, so hope, that's what hope is. It's rather interesting that uh, John Bunyan in his Pilgrim's Progress has two, uh, two associates for the main character, uh, two, two uh, traveling companions. First one is called Faithful, and the second one was called Hopeful. And so perhaps even John Bunyan knew uh, the, the interplay of faith and hope, that uh, faith is for the present, hope is for the future. Well, in that hope, let's study the scriptures. I mean, how, I'm more excited now than I was when I started. So, Pastor, can you begin our time in prayer? Yes. Let us pray. Gracious Father, you provided for your ancient people of Israel through the blessed leadership of your servant Joseph, son of Jacob. We follow Joseph's exploits, which are a testament to your saving presence in the lives of your people, both in times past and in times present. Grant us your Holy Spirit to guide us as we look at this passage of your inerrant written word, that we may be guided, encouraged, and strengthened in our faith, since you are the God of your people in time and into eternity through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. If you have any questions concerning our text, send us an email, kfuo at kfuo.org, kfuo at kfuo.org. Now, Pastor, you know, I haven't gotten to what kind of some, uh, some realities in chapter 47, but leading up to this, the whole story of Joseph is just one of those, um, uh, it's, it's like a, it's like a gold mine just ready to be dug into again. Like you thought that you have dug the depths of it where you couldn't find any other gems, but boy, it just keeps on coming. So, Pastor, as we come to chapter 47, uh, any, anything you want to highlight as, that leads us up to this point? Yes. Uh, in in uh, chapter 46, I think that is very important. The last verses of chapter 46 mm-hmm. are important where Joseph gives advice to his brothers. Uh and and that where he says just tell the pharaoh that that you are shepherds um and then of course it mentions that uh that shepherds are an abomination to the egyptians and and basically what he's basically what this is safeguarding the uh distinction of god's people in in a foreign land uh, because, uh, you, you know, if they were, let's say they were farmers or let's say they were artisans or some, or scribes or anything, they would, they would, you know, kind of be, uh, brought into the Egyptian culture and become Egyptians. Uh, but they needed to stay uh, a peculiar people <laughs> or, you know, a, a special people. And so, he said, well, just, and, and, it, and it was true that, that for the most part, they were shepherds as we, as we, um, look at the earlier chapters of Genesis. And so, so that they uh, would be, have a special area, Goshen or, or in that area to, uh, uh you know, live for a while. And, and they, they could be, uh, you know, they could continue as a nation unto themselves. And that's, that's the, those verses are very important for understanding what's going on in, in chapter it is. Uh, now, 47. Now, okay, so like we talked about, the shepherds were not well 
liked. They would not be held in high regard. But God has a plan through this. So can you can you give us the answer to, well, if they don't like shepherds and they come in and say we're shepherds, what was the game? Can you break that down for us a little bit? Because that can get confusing. So what was the game to say we're shepherds when they come into Egypt? What are your thoughts? Well, then, then the Egyptians would say, okay, then you guys live by yourselves. You live uh, in your own territory. Okay. Uh, and, and it was, and the Pharaoh, of course, uh, was very, very, uh, you know, very much wanting to try to thank Joseph for all that the Lord had done through his uh, administration in Egypt. And so, you know, you know, and, and, and it may be the Pharaoh was uh, one of the Hyksos rulers of Egypt, which were, you know, the Pharaohs that there were in what was called the second intermediate period before the new kingdom in Egypt. And, and uh, you know, that may also be why the people didn't like shepherds, because the Hyksos were said to be shepherd kings or that that word could also mean kings of foreign lands, and and so and, and then then as then there in in Exodus it'll say that there was a pharaoh that arose that did not know Joseph Amozi, mm-hmm. uh, who was the uh, you know basically started the new what is called the new kingdom in Egypt or the empire. And, uh, and and then of course uh, that that changed all of uh, what what uh, Joseph was doing there. But I mean, uh, in this particular case, he the, the idea was they needed to stay by themselves because God had chosen them as the nation for uh, the Messiah. That is, you know what I I've been thinking through that. You explained that so well for you our listeners. That's just, I think that's a very big insight for all of you who are out there thinking, well, how come Pastor Finn didn't know that already? Well, I guess there it is. Now you know my weaknesses. So as we come together, I'm ready to dig in on these verses. I'm even more excited now, Pastor. Are you ready? Hey, I'm ready. All right. Yep. Chapter 47. We'll be reading from the English Standard Version of Genesis chapter 47, and we hear the word of God. So Joseph went in and told Pharaoh, My father and my brothers with their flocks and herds and all that they possess have come from the land of Canaan. They are now in the land of Goshen. And from among his brothers he took five men and presented them to Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to his brothers, What is your occupation? And they said to Pharaoh, Your servants are shepherds as our fathers were. And they said, they said to Pharaoh, We have come to sojourn in the land. For there is no pasture for your servants' flocks, for the famine is so severe in the land of Canaan. And now, please let your servants dwell in the land of Goshen. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Your father and your brothers have come to you. The land of Egypt is before you. Settle your father and your brothers in the best of the land. Let them settle in the land of Goshen, and that if you know any able men among them, put them in charge of my livestock. So the plan, the plan seemed to work. How did it unfold, Pastor? Yes, uh, it says that he took five men, in other words, probably five of his brothers. And uh, they, the, the word five, by the way, in Hebrew is the word for several. So if they say, you know, you say several people, it's, five, it's a, a number in, in Hebrew, it's five people. And so he took several of his brothers to Pharaoh and uh, then, then uh, basically, they did. They they basically said exactly what their brother Joseph told them to say. And and then it was rather interesting that uh, Pharaoh says, "Well, you know, if you guys are, are expert uh, shepherds, then perhaps you can take care of my flocks." And and we'll see as the as the chapter unfolds 
that that is something that's very important because Pharaoh is going to have even more flocks, but for the sake of his people, there he, he's going to make sure that, that they're taken care of. Um, and, and, and so it, it's rather interesting that, uh, that Moses, as he writes this, you know, he kind of gives us these little tidbits in this, in these details and we can, and, and, and it's, it's really interesting to see that, that perhaps there isn't anything in Egyptian records, you know, like in the Egyptian, uh, accounts of the history of Egypt, uh, about this, but, uh, there are elements in, in our chapter, which, uh, bear out, bear out in, in, uh, Egyptian cultural history. Well, and it's, it's interesting too, because the Lord continues to carry his people through and here he's, he's working through Pharaoh. I mean, it's amazing to me to see that throughout Genesis because we quickly think of Pharaoh in the, in Exodus, like that's kind of the movies and, and a lot of those books. But here we see Pharaoh, whether he knows it or not, the Lord is working through him. He confesses that, that you are with, you're from God. So he clearly sees God working through all this. At this point, his heart doesn't seem to be as hardened as he later gets or the, the future pharaohs. Um, and here he not only gives them the best of the land, but then he says, okay, be in charge of my livestock as well. So God is working generosity in Pharaoh. He's working providing for his people in such powerful ways that we have to remember that in our world, that guess what? God is at work even through the darkest of, of situations and even in people who aren't necessarily believers. Your thoughts on that? Oh yeah, and 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 you know, it's, isn't it something that even in God's word, in the in in these ancient times, that you have something that is really instructive for us in our own time. You know, we we have our own. It's not a famine; it's a pestilence or a, or a uh, pandemic. Uh, you know, it's kind of interesting. How did how did the ancient uh, nations uh, deal with uh, pandemics or or uh, crises that that came their way? And and Martin Luther even believed that uh, this Pharaoh, and we don't know who it was. Uh, was um, uh, he? He was perhaps a believer himself. Mm-hmm. And there's there's a and, lot of signs that he might have been, as you look throughout Genesis thirty-seven to fifty, no doubt. Well, he recognized that J, uh, uh, Joseph was uh, the spirit of God was in him. Mm-hmm. You know, he said the spirit of the gods or the spirit of God is is speaks. Who else but him should, uh, you know, take take over the reins of power in this nation? Well, Pastor, as we look at those, I mean, right now we're just in a wonderful narrative, a story that just continues to unfold. But anything else you wanted to highlight in the first six verses? Yes. uh, The... um uh, the Pharaoh basically uh, says, you know, settle in the best of the land. You know, that was probably the best, uh, uh, best outcome that Joseph and his family could have wanted. Mm. Yeah. And it isn't like uh, they were, uh, you know, uh, a, uh, a large group of people. There were only what 72 people or thereabouts. And, 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 and they, the Egyptians love them. They, they love Joseph. They, and the Pharaoh loved him. And, uh, and, and so, you know, this is a grateful nation, uh, thanking, uh, the, this, uh, this great man who is a hero, you might say, a hero of the faith, our, our, our friend Joseph. Absolutely. Absolutely. So everything is just laying out beautifully as we come to this point. And, and Pastor, why is it important for us as we see things lay out in the Old Testament? Why is it important for us to know that as the Lord provided for Joseph and his family, that the Lord will also provide for us? I mean, can we say that with confidence as we read the Bible and look at our world today? What are your thoughts? I think that's so true. 
And, and, uh, you know what the, the thing, every time I read it, it brings tears to my eyes when the brothers uh, say to Joseph, you know, we are your slaves. You know, mm-hmm. we, we, we hurt you. We, we, uh, ruined your life, you know, everything. And Joseph said, am I in God's place? You know, you meant evil to me, but God meant it for good for the, the saving of many lives. You know, it, it's ultimately God who has the big picture in, involved. And, and uh, you know, bad things happen our, in our own lives, but perhaps we can see the way in which God can turn something that is evil or something that is bad for maybe the saving of, of, an, of an entire world. You know, it, it's by the grace of God through Joseph that perhaps an entire world uh, the, the then known world was saved because because of the grain and bread being in Egypt. Well, and that's our hope. Once again, we go back to that understanding of hope, hope that comes in Christ and what the Lord provides. So let's keep moving on, Pastor. Uh, we're in verse 7 of Genesis 47, and we hear the word, we continue to hear the word of God. Verse 7, Then Joseph brought in Jacob, his father, and stood before Pharaoh. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Jacob, How many days are the years of your life? And Jacob said to Pharaoh, The days of the years of my sojourning are 130 years. Few and evil have been the days of the years of my life, and they have not attained to the days of the years of the life of my fathers and the days of their sojourning. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went out from the presence of Pharaoh. Then Joseph settled in his father and his brothers and gave them possession of the land of Egypt, in the best of the land and the land of Ramesses, as Pharaoh had commanded. And Joseph brought his father, his brothers, and all his father's household with food, according to the number of their dependents. Pastor, I, I want to start with this. So here comes the father. You know, so this, I mean, this is like, I mean, this is this is a Hall of Fame entering the room, right? I mean, this is this is like the future Albert Pujols enters the room. Like, oh my gosh, this is the guy. You know, this is the main guy. Of course, I'm trying to connect with St. Louis people right now, but anyways, this is yeah. the guy. This is the one that's entered the room, and then Jacob goes up to Pharaoh. I don't know how he did it or what happened, and he blesses him. I mean, this is crazy. This is this is this is beyond crazy. What's happening here? What is happening? Can you pack, unpack that for us? Well, um, in, in this, uh, sometimes the, when it speaks about Jacob blessing Pharaoh, that that is a, uh, a greeting that he gave a greeting when he came in, and he gave a, uh, a mm, okay. you know a farewell when he was leaving. But there's more to it than that. Uh, it is a a, a blessing, um, and and God can't uh, God decides even to bless a pagan uh, like look at the the case of Cyrus uh it was uh, in, in fact Cyrus uh, the king of Persia the first king of Persia who who gave the decree that the that the people the Judeans should return or the Judahites and and the other uh, people of Israel that were in Babylon should return to Jerusalem uh after the uh 70 year exile in in Babylon they called him the uh, a messiah or anointed one so here you have even this uh, pagan ruler who is, is blessed by the patriarch, 
Jacob. Jacob is the patriarch. Uh, he's the one, and, and, you know, that's kind of the, the in the Hall of Fame, you might say, of, of the uh, line that goes down to our Lord Jesus Christ. Right. And and so, in a sense, we could say, and, and you know, what's rather interesting is, is as Scripture says in the Hebrews, the book of Hebrews is very interesting. The, 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 the lesser is blessed by the greater. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was uh, that uh, um, I think uh, well, I'm trying to think if it was the king of uh, Salem or something who blessed Abraham. Uh, so, so it, it mentions that, and then that was Melchizedek. Uh, he, he, so it, it, it points out that the greater is blessed, uh, the greater blesses the lesser. So here you're talking about the, the ruler of Egypt. You know, it was that is the cradle of civilization. Egypt was probably the first civilization of of humanity, and 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 there is the there is the king of all Egypt, and he is being blessed by the greater, and that of course is uh, Jacob Israel. His of course his name was changed to Israel, the uh, uh, patriarch of God's people. It does say this in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 7. It is beyond dispute that the inferior is blessed by the superior. In the one case, tithes are received by mortal men, but in the other case, by one of whom it is testified that he lives. Might, might even say that Levi himself, who receives tithes, paid tithes for Abraham, for he is still in the loins of his ancestor when Melchizedek met him. So it goes back to that. It is beyond dispute that the inferior is blessed by the superior. Hebrews chapter 7 and I read 7 through 10. So, yeah, that's happening right here. I mean, we're seeing it um, very clearly and, and in many ways uh, interpreted as we see through the New Testament, through the cross in Hebrews chapter 7. Are there thoughts on that? Yes. Uh, Jacob, of course, uh, you know, it. Jacob is a very interesting fellow. I mean, you know, he, he, he was a scoundrel. Uh, he, he, uh, he had a difficult life because of the, because of the things that he did. Uh, but, but then, but then of course he, he makes that beautiful confession. Uh, you know, I'm not worthy of the least of all the mercies and all the truth, which God has shown to his servant. And in, in this particular case, you know, I'm not as old as my father. My father, uh, Isaac was 180 when he died. My, my grandfather, Abraham was 175. I'm only 130. And then, uh, you know, we'll find out that he lives only 17 years in Egypt. So, um, you know, he, he's, uh, but, but he is just filled with praise and thanks to, to God. You know, just think of the wonderful thing. He's in the afterglow of seeing Joseph again. You know, his beloved son, whom he was separated for, for so many years, for thir- over 30 years, he was separated from his beloved Joseph, and, and now he was reunited. And, and I think he was uh, really on cloud nine <laughs> as, as he went into the presence of Pharaoh. Right, and he, and he does so. If he didn't know, <laughs> the, the, there's so much now he realizes, like, wow, not only has God provided this, but but this guy, this Pharaoh, is a guy that clearly has had favor upon my son. Because if you enter uh, with the son, right? So he enters with the son, and then therefore he is welcomed. I mean, it just I think there's gospel handles that connect to this as well, that when we enter, wherever we may enter through the son, you know, we are therefore blessed as well. So there's, there's a lot of connections that we see through this, that he knows Pharaoh will be gracious because he's been gracious to his son. He's entering with his son, which gives him the identity of being able to be in that presence. And for us, and this is a little bit of a stretch, for us, when we are able to be with the son, guess what? We are welcomed 
and and um, able to be together with with the Lord God the Father uh, wherever we might go. So this, I, I just I love the connections that are there when we look at the sun imagery as well. Anything else, Pastor? Yeah, the uh, it's interesting that I've just been I just finished reading um, John Kleining, and I, I mean I better have completed it. Uh, grace upon grace, mm-hmm. and and he has a he has a masterful chapter in there about prayer. Yeah, and uh, he it talks about that Jesus is present with us. Obviously, I'm with you always, even unto the end of the world. I am, you know, he identifies with us, and and so when we pray, we we're praying with Jesus to the Father. Mm. And as you as you mentioned, it's the Son, which is Joseph, bringing his Father, who is we could maybe be kind of like God the Father to to the uh, the person who is uh you know that is working in the world is is a kind of a um, a means to God blessing the world mm-hmm. and and it, 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 it like you said the gospel handles are, are tremendous here ah oh, I, I they're just absolutely everywhere but pastor I want to talk more about that on the other side of our break we are studying Genesis chapter 47 with pastor David Boisclair and we'll be right back What's happening in Germany's Lutheran churches, where Iranian refugees are flooding through the doors? What new opportunities for sharing the Christian faith are arising in communist Vietnam, and how can my church play a part? Mission speakers, all LCMS pastors from the Lutheran Heritage Foundation, will come to your church, free of charge, to preach and lead Bible studies tying into this exciting work going on all around the world. To schedule your speaker, call LHF at 800-554-0723. And welcome back. We are studying Genesis chapter 47 with Pastor David Boisclair of Faith and Bethesda Lutheran Church in Pine Lawn, Missouri. And Pastor, we, we have, we've been filled with uh, hope. We've been filled with these gospel handles through the first 12 verses. But I, you know, and the next part, just how do you say it? It, it, it takes away any thoughts we have of a prosperity gospel, right? It just, this next part just reminds oh, yeah. us, it just reminds us that yes, they're filled with, with hope. They're filled with the Lord providing. They're filled with seeing how God had, had worked in their lives and really carried them through. But it doesn't mean that the grass was greener. It doesn't mean that the crops were, were ripe. It doesn't mean that they were sitting there being fed grapes all day. The, the famine was still real. Any thoughts as we prepare for these next this next section of chapter 47? Isn't it just like uh, Martin Luther said, you know, as we as Christians, you know, we're pro- proclaiming Christ, we're proclaiming the life to come, uh, that, that, there, that everything that we see on the outside seems to go against everything that we are preaching or everything that, uh, you know, that we're saying that there is hope, that there is, uh, that there's an eternal hope, there's eternal life. Uh, you know, it, 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 everybody's poor, uh, in the world or, or, you know, we're subject to, to sickness and death. And, and it seems like the devil's winning. And, and, uh, I think that what you, what you just said is so important because it seems like, you know the the bad guy or the bad powers uh, are are winning death and destruction, but uh, you know then then we have to the contrary. Even though we don't see it, uh, you know God says I will swallow up death forever. 
and and so uh, we we see that there is life in in the midst of death. And thanks be to God for that. So let's go back to the word of life, chapter 47, beginning verse 13. I'll read quite a bit here, all the way through 22, because there's, there's a lot of gems in here as well. Verse 13. Now there was no food in all the land, for the famine was very severe, so that the land of Egypt and the land of Canaan languished by reason of the famine. And Joseph gathered up all the money that was found in the land of Egypt and the land of Canaan in exchange for the grain that they bought. And Joseph brought the money into Pharaoh's house. And when the money was all spent in the land of Egypt and the land of Canaan, all the Egyptians came to Joseph and said, Give us food. Why should we die before your eyes? For our money is gone. And Joseph answered, Give your livestock, and I will give you food in exchange for your livestock if your money is gone. So they brought their livestock to Joseph, and Joseph gave them food in exchange for their horses, the flocks, the herds, and the donkeys. He supplied them with food in exchange for all their livestock that year. And when that year was ended, they came to him the following year and said to him, We will not hide from my Lord that our money is all spent. The herds of livestock are my Lord's. There's nothing left in the sight of my Lord but our bodies and our land. Why should we die before your eyes, both we and our land? Buy us and our land for food, and we with our land will be servants to Pharaoh, and give us seed that we may live and not die, and that the land may not be desolate. So Joseph bought all the land of Egypt for Pharaoh, for all the Egyptians sold their fields because the famine was so severe to them. The land became Pharaoh's. As for the people, he made servants of them from one end of Egypt to the other. Only the land of the priests he did not buy, for the priests had fixed allowance from Pharaoh and lived the allowance that Pharaoh gave them. Therefore, they did not sell the land. So what I found interesting in this pastor is that the famine, um, it affected Egypt as well. We kind of assumption that that Egypt was kind of isolated from this and the rest of the world was coming to them. But guess what? It got so bad that even it affected Egypt. What else did you find in these verses? Yes, it's the last two years of the famine. And um, the, um, the Egyptians, uh, you know, it's interesting that what, what is happening here is that like the first, in, in the history of Egypt, we, we find that under the, in the New Kingdom, which would be the times after Joseph, that the that that the common uh, Egyptian was not an owner of land anymore, and so this that's confirmed by, you know, the cultural history of Egypt that uh, that private property uh, was not there anymore, and 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 you see a situation you you have a good gospel handle in all of this that in the same way as the people placed themselves into the hands of, of those who were in authority as they did, that that was the best, the best that could happen to them because by, because they were not able, they weren't able to take care of themselves. They didn't have enough food for themselves. How would they have enough fodder or food for their animals? So they, you know, Pharaoh had all the money, you know, like in this situation, all of the all of the money was was out of the world. You know, there was no wealth. Of course, in Egypt, uh, they didn't uh, have cash. They had uh, they had this uh, medium of, of exchange that was known as a debon, which uh, would you know, like a, it would let's say it would take two debons to buy a, a straw mat. It was also two debons that would buy a 
keg of beer and and so you could trade a mat for a keg of beer or something you know something like that um in this particular case it was only pharaoh that could actually provide for their animals and and as it was uh, you know they would be basically when times got better again they would be uh, all of that was given back to them by pharaoh but of course they had to of course pay a double tithe you know one fifth we'll we'll see that in in a, in a little bit uh, but but this was the best thing that could happen to them because there was a good pharaoh, a benevolent pharaoh. There was a, he had a uh, benevolent uh, second in command, Joseph, and 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 the people trusted them. And and uh, and and basically, uh, you know, if they hadn't, if this arrangement hadn't been made, uh, all of those animals would have died. And 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 so and that that kind of is a picture of our placing ourselves in the hands of God. You know, God is the one who is the uh, owns everything, and we're stewards of what He has given us. Well, that gives us a whole different dynamic to it as well, where we could say, "Well, why didn't He just give him more food, and why didn't He just give him money?" There's, there's a uh, Dr. Henry Rowald at Concordia Seminary in St. Louis would challenge us because he was a big Old Testament guy. And he would always oh, say, yeah. he would challenge us to say, where's the dab of grace in this? Um, mm. Because we can easily, and, and, it, and it is, it's more than a dab. You know, I think a little butter you put onto your bread. We're talking, we're talking, it's an overlow waterfall, no doubt. But w- what we will see is, is kind of a dab. And you see that here, that if they would not have sold, you know, not have given the, the, the flocks over, they probably would have perished. And so there's a dab yep. of grace, not only for the people, but also his creation, that God was working in this whole time. Um, so, yeah, thank you for pointing that out. That's just another reminder of the gems that are within this Joseph account. And, Pastor, I wanted to ask this. Is I found it interesting, something that's hard to envision, is he bought all the land of Egypt. What didn't? So, so now, is this bad? You know, this is like Americans are like, oh, boy, now there's going to be a dictatorship or whatever it might be. What does that mean that he bought all the land and... And uh, now Pharaoh has complete control over everything. Any, any thoughts on that, or am I am I reading into the text too much? No, uh, critics have have criticized Joseph. He's, in other words, he's using this uh, crisis in order to uh, you know to to basically uh, lord it over the people. Uh, but that you know that was God's intention. You know, Joseph only sees the hand of God in all of this. Mm-hmm. Uh, in this case, of course, uh, yeah, the, the trouble is, is that, well, the, the, a pharaoh that didn't know Joseph can't, comes to power, and then, and then uh, everything changes, and he becomes a, it becomes a dictator and a tyrant. Uh, you know, I mean, using the using the forced labor on the on the Hebrews uh, to build uh, Python and Ramesses uh, at the time, you know, just before uh, the people of Israel came to uh, back go back to Canaan. But it's interesting at the end of this, it says they they want seed, uh, so they mm-hmm. want like seed grain, seed grain, because obviously this is the last year of the famine. And they want to be able to, uh, pl- and maybe they tried, you know, that would might be a thing. They might have kept trying year after year to try to, um, you know, see if the famine was ended, if the cr- crops would grow. And, and so there was, there was hope <laughs> that the seed that, that Pharaoh provided them would, would then uh, be, be uh, a land, uh, would be uh, a crop for right, them. Right, right. And so, there, so he buys all the land, it becomes Pharaoh's. 
And, and the, like you said, the Lord knew what he was doing. It was Joseph who trusted that the Lord knew what he was doing. And that, we can look back on this account and, and act as if, well, that didn't, that didn't end well. Uh, how, would you, how would you describe this to somebody to say, well, you know, you could easily say, well, that didn't end very well because at the end of the day, then they all left Egypt and they were slaves for all these years and, and you know, Pharaoh, the 10 plagues and the firstborn and all that. I mean, it's just a terrible story. So, you know, maybe it could have been fixed at this point. What would, what would you encourage our listeners as you might just well, have a pessimistic view? Yeah, it, it um, you know, you, you could see something like that. Uh, again, it's, it's, it's that we, we recognize the fact that all of us are sinners there, but for the grace of God go I, when I see mm-hmm. somebody that is in deep in sin. Um, but, but it, it, this is a matter of the people trusted, uh, the, the, the people that God placed over them, you know, and there is no power in the world except from the Lord. If you look at Romans chapter 13, you know, the powers that be are there because of, of God's uh, will. And so it was, I mean, in those days, those, there was not a lot of big welfare state or it wasn't a, uh, you know, like that they're a net of safety uh, in, in society. There, it, was a, it was a very brutal and a very difficult time to live. People were, I mean, it was a subsistence economy. You know, it, it's like going from paycheck to paycheck. I mean, these people, uh, it, what, you know, they had to wonder, they wondered every day what they were going to eat the next day. And, and so you, and then you have this wonderful blessing in Egypt that God placed these men, the Pharaoh and, and Joseph as, as authorities. That's what we pray for even now that, that God would uh, place people in authority in our nation, in the world that, that have the people's interests in mind. And those, and that was the situation with Joseph and Pharaoh. Well, and God definitely worked through it all. Now, now, Pastor, as we uh, look at the number of verses after this, it is interesting to me in verse 22, it brings up priests. Now, my, who are these priests in Egypt at this time? Did you find anything on that? Well, they, they would be the, uh, the priests of the Egyptian pantheon. You know, the, the Egyptians uh, kind of had uh, Amun, Amun-Ra was, was the, uh, the god of the sun, uh, he, his son was Osiris and, uh, Osiris had a brother named Set and, and Osiris had a, uh, had a wife named Isis and, uh, Set cut his brother to pieces. And so, uh, Isis, you know, in other words, a lot of mysteries. And it's interesting that Joseph's wife is the daughter of a priest, Patiphera, uh, his father-in-law was mm-hmm. Patiphera, the priest of An or Heliopolis. Yeah. Uh, the, okay. in other words, it's mm-hmm. a, a, it's a, it's a city where, where they worship the sun. So, so yeah, the priests were very important in Egypt, even after the, that was why the, uh, the, you have the old kingdom, which was uh, like at the time of Khufu and the building of the great pyramid, that the priests uh, were, were quite a power to be re- powers to be reckoned with. Um, and, and you can even see if you, if you look at the history of Tutankhamun, which was the after Joseph here, that priests, in fact, one of the uh, a priest by the name of I uh, became Pharaoh. So, so uh, th- this was a very, very important power broker uh, uh, cast in Egypt, uh, and they, and they, of course, would uh, you know. One thing to say about the Egyptian religion too is it was a optimistic religion. There were the two, the two 
uh, pillars of civilization. There was the in the east, there was Samaria and Acadia, you know, in between in Mesopotamia, the, uh, the, where the rivers ran the, the opposite way, Tigris and Euphrates. And then you had the Nile, which comes the opposite direction. Uh, the the, uh, pe- the Mesopotamians were very very pessimistic people in their in their belief system, and the Egyptians were very optimistic. They, but but again, they they believed they were they were pagans. They believed in many gods. But like I say, the the priests were were very very powerful. Sometimes more powerful than the pharaoh. Well, that's. You just gave me more than I than I anticipated there, Pastor. So thank you for that, because there's so yeah. much that was going on. They obviously were supported by the, I guess you say, the state. They were a state priests. And so there was there was definitely like what did what did one pastor say once? He he says something along the lines of the optimistic God is not a saving God. That you can have a pep talk God. But if that God is not willing to die for you or shed his blood for you, then then there's ultimately no hope. It comes back to that hope. And so that's why we all have to be realize that we need a real God. We need, we need God that gives us reality. And in that, we can have optimism. But if it's just optimism for the sake of optimism, all you're left with is just uh, another, another road that never ends, and, and, you know, uh, that will eventually have a cliff because there's no end to this story. But with, with Christ, there is. And so I, I love how you said that because how, how appealing. I like those optimistic type of ideologies because I want to feel good. Even if it's for a short time, I want to feel good. But it doesn't make us realize the whole story and, well, the good that our Lord gives to us. Any thoughts on that when you brought up every hit a chord? Because you see that with Pharaoh and the Egyptians, that there's a lot of optimism, but the optimism just doesn't, doesn't ever have a well, hope to it. Any thoughts? Yes, uh, because we are optimistic in God and we're pessimistic in ourselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, one of the things is, uh, as Luther learned in his in his spiritual struggle, we need to despair in ourselves and we need to hope and trust in God. So, if as if it relies upon God, then we have nothing but pure optimism. If it relies on us. Uh, you know, we're not humanists. We don't. We don't uh, um, th- say that. Uh, you know, we can. We can get through this ourselves. Here, you see how these people were. You know, they they were powerless. Again, the power. The power of this famine that happened in the land. You know, and and it wasn't a thing. Well, okay, if we just start, if we work a little harder, we'll make it. No, it it's it all is in the hands of God, and and when we can be, and I think that that the person that mentioned that, you know, that too much of that optimism when it, when it is centered in ourselves mm-hmm. is, is a, is a failure is a, is a, is a deceptive. And that's clearly the case throughout the time of Joseph and Jacob and obviously Abraham, that the hope always brought them back to the Lord. And that's where our hope is. Um, how do you say that pastor that, um, our hope is in the Lord, not ourselves. Or you had a tagline that was really good that I can't remember offhand. What, do you remember what you said right when I 
Oh shoot! What, right when I well, we despair. That. We despair in ourselves. Ah, you know. Not, not, in other words, we don't trust in ourselves. Now, you know. Again, I know that sounds from a humanistic point of view or from a psychological point of view. You know, I don't mean to be uh, to put people down. I'm just saying that uh, in God's law, it shows that that the only saving course for us is to despair in our abilities and our and, and that we are that we have committed all sins. Uh, that we 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 are just powerless. You know, sometimes it might be sort of like uh, AA, you might say, some of the steps, 12 steps of AA, where you were powerless uh, before alcohol. So we're powerless before sin. We're powerless mm. before the devil. We're powerless uh, in, in and of ourselves. Uh, let him who say he stands take heed lest he fall. You know, uh, and, and, but, but we despair in ourselves and we trust in God, in Christ. Let's keep moving forward. Verse 23. Then Joseph said to the people, Behold, I have this day brought you and your land and your land for Pharaoh. Excuse me, bought you and your land for Pharaoh. Now here is seed for you, and you shall sow the land. And at the harvest you shall give a fifth to Pharaoh, and four fifths shall you be your own, as seed for the field, and as fruit food for yourselves and your households, and as food for your little ones. And they said, You have saved our lives. May it please my Lord, we will be servants to Pharaoh. So Joseph made it a statute concerning the land of Egypt. And it stands to this day that Pharaoh should have the fifth. The land of the priests alone did not become Pharaoh's. Thus Israel settled in the land of Egypt, in the land of Goshen. And they gained possessions in it and were fruitful and multiplied greatly. And Jacob lived in the land of Egypt seventeen years. So the days of Jacob, the years of his life, were 147 years. So uh, there's kind of a, a mathematical equation that happens here. It says, we'll give you seed, but there's you got to do this, you got to pay this tax, and you're going to have to do this. What does this all mean? What is, what is, why, why did Moses include this part? It's kind of a unique addition. Well, obviously, Moses, uh, as a prince of, of, of Egypt, uh, knew a lot about all of that mm-hmm. stuff happening. Mm-hmm. And, and he was, as, as Scripture tells us, he was learned in all of the, uh, the knowledge of the Egyptians. Um, in, in, this partic- in this particular case, uh, you, you have um, uh, the, the, the Egyptian economy was, was tremendous. It was the breadbasket for the world. Thirty-five uh, percent yield. I mean, so so a fifth. Uh, you know, that was rather generous. If it was an evil ruler at that time, they'd say, "No, we we want three three quarters of your harvest. We want, or at least half of your harvest. We want uh, we want four fifths or six. Uh, you know, another four fifths or three fifths of of what you produce. But I mean, you, you, as as some commentators say, that the people because because the land was so fertile. Uh, it, they wouldn't quibble at, at giving giving a, a double tithe. That would be a double tithe. Two two tenths is is a one fifth uh, to Pharaoh, mm-hmm. and and so in 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 a sense, again, they they saw how it worked. You know, with the with the fourteen years, the seven years of famine, and uh, rather the seven years of plenty, the seven years of famine. I mean, you know, another thing that's rather interesting is that uh, Joseph was sold into slavery when he was seventeen. 
And so, uh, you know, so between the time that, that he was 17 and, and then the time that uh, Jacob it was for was some th- over 30 years because Joseph was 40 years old, or, you know, maybe approaching 50 at the time. But then he, then uh, Jacob had 17 years after that. And so that's that's kind of like a bookend, a book ending or bookends or inclusio, as they call them in, in, in scholarly circles. And it it, it it is interesting. Just uh, um, I guess you would kind of say uh, not a redemption, a uh, you know, seventeen years that that he is uh, that he that's how old he was. That's how long he had him, and then he had him another seventeen years, kind of making up for that lost time that they had as well. So it is yeah. it, it's at very least very interesting that the Lord provided that amount of time because we can read through this. I think about seventeen years. Well, Pastor, seventeen years from now. I mean, there's going to be a lot of changes in my life. You know, 17 years from now, my kids will be, well, a lot older <laughs> than they are right now. 17 years from now, you and I will be at different stages of ministry, no doubt about it. And so that's that's a long time. But in the piece of paper, in the Bible that we read, it kind of just happens pretty quickly. And all of a sudden, 17 years later, boom, problem solved. You know, there it is. So that's been a good reminder for me of to slow down, not only in my own life, but also in scripture to slow down because um, it can go pretty quick. And we might think it was a day or two, but really it was many years. So pastor, anything else on up to verse 28 of chapter 47 you want to highlight? Yes. I think that's, you make a very important point um, that, uh, you know, teach us to number our days so we may gain a heart of wisdom. Mm-hmm. And, and that's, that's what we do. And, and uh, you know, we recognize that and, and, and we're so, uh, blessed in the Lord that we say uh, His will be done in all things, and and uh, we, we're ready for anything that He that is in store for us because He knows the future and He's not going to leave us behind. Well, Pastor, let's finish this out. Um, we are in verse twenty nine. We'll finish the chapter. We have about six minutes left in our time. And when the time drew near that Israel must die, he called his son Joseph and said to him. If now I found favor in your sight, put your hand under my thigh and promise to deal kindly and truly with me. Do not bury me in Egypt, but let me lie with my fathers. Carry me out of Egypt and bury me in their burying place. He answered, I will do as you have said. And he said, Swear to me. And he swore to him. Then Israel bowed himself upon the head of his bed. So, Pastor, here is, well... Um, um, end of an era. End of an era. If you can say it that way, uh, and he says, "But don't bury me here, but bury me in Canaan." Why would he say that? Any thoughts? Yes. Uh, well, obviously, if you look at the uh, at the text of the scriptures, uh, they said they slept. They slept with their fathers. Um, you know, they wanted that was that was where God had promised to give that land to uh, Abraham and to his descendants forever. So he wanted to go home. He wanted to be buried in his home. Um, and and uh, it's interesting that uh, the same type of a practice of g- taking an oath, you put your basically put your hand on uh, probably close to your uh, father's uh you know, his, his private parts, you know, and that, mm-hmm. that of course was, was the, uh, what, uh, uh, uh I think it was, uh, um, 
Eliezer did in mm-hmm. uh, Genesis 24. Uh, Abraham says, you know, put your hand here under my thigh and, and, and uh, make the, and take this oath. You know, do not uh, do not take uh, from from the people of the land or the the women of the land uh, for my son Isaac. Go, you know, go to uh, Haran and and get a wife for my son Isaac. In this particular case, you know, this is very important. And so, you know, so so Joseph uh, complied, placed his hand where his father asked him to place it, and and took that oath. And, and, and said, you're not, we will bury you in your land. Now, the question is, where was he buried? Probably in Machpelah, which is near Hebron or in Hebron. Or it might be possible there was a, a tract of land in Shechem that, uh, mm-hmm. that, that uh, is basically said, or Jacob gave it to his son, Joseph. And it, it, it is interesting because it is a whole lot more than just, you know, somebody saying, I want to be buried in for example my hometown wadina or something i mean it's not a it's not just a a place well it'd be kind of nice that's a little greener out in you know land of canaan that is here in egypt or or you know that's where other family have been buried and so forth is that that this is the promised land and there's so much meaning that eventually not only would he go there but so would god's people and in that era would obviously be the source of our salvation as well. So it's just God connects all this. We think of it in a purely kind of sentimental way, but God, as you said so well today, Pastor, he puts his fingerprints on everything to remind us that he's the one that provides. And I pray, and this is what I ask you listeners to pray for me, but also in my prayer for all of you, is that we're able to see those fingerprints throughout our lives, of God continually working in our lives with the cross in mind, the cross goggles, as I always talk about, because it's so easy just to kind of think things just kind of fell apart, fell into place for whatever reason, as opposed to seeing God's fingerprints on them. And so I see that in this text. Pastor, with about a minute and a half left, how would you summarize this chapter and uh, encourage our listeners in Christ? It just, it, it is a lesson in a trusting and having hope in God that even though things are, are going very poorly financially in the world today, even in our own nation, that uh, we should trust and, and, and have hope in the Lord because he, of course, does, it, it does all things well. And he will, he will not leave us, uh, you know, as orphans, he will not leave us comfortless. He will not leave us poor, but he will, he will refresh us and he will save us. And and uh, and we would and our attitude is like that of Jacob who bowed. Uh, it's mentioned in the book of Hebrews about the, the 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 roll call of faith that by faith he trusted and did what he did and he he worshipped at the t- top of his staff or at the uh, foot of his or at the head of his bed, and and uh, that 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 shows our ultimate thanksgiving to God that he they have, that he has given us our Lord Jesus Christ who has redeemed us from from sin, death, and hell, and brings us to everlasting life. And right there, Pastor, it is full of hope. Pastor David Boyce-Claire of Faith in Bethesda Lutheran Church in Pine Lawn, Missouri, giving us God's strong word from Genesis chapter 47. Pastor Boyce-Claire, thank you for bringing us his gifts. It's it's, uh, my pleasure, and and it's our, our task to always witness for our Lord Jesus. Amen to that. I'm your host, Pastor Brady Finnern, District President of the Minnesota North District of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Thank you for joining us, and the Lord keep you safe in the palm of his hand. Mm